And welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast, the most insulting podcast in the business. Although it is slightly changing, we are now going to be pop culture as told by the underground metal superstars, as it were. Today, we are featuring the ultimate feature, Kifi Chakas of Ghost Cult again. It is wonderful to always have him back. How are you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I didn't tell you this before we went on air, which is uh, remiss of me because we've been talking for a while, but the Glacially Musical podcast is going to be changing a little bit. I am hoping, hopefully by the time this actually comes out, this announcement will have been moot. I am going to be doing a second show per week where I do a roundup of news and play a few singles. So there'll be the usual interview once a week and then hopefully a news show. The once a week interview is going to be Uh, talking about pop culture of whatever the hell I think of at the moment with somebody from underground, the underground metal scene, which is always fun. But we're not here to talk about that necessarily. We're here to talk about you. Uh, Thank you very much. Just for the record, and I mean this, this is what I talked about before. You are welcome to always come on my podcast. You are welcome. You can normally, I, I record at this time, you can just pop up in my Zoom fucking room and I'll, and I'll bring you in. However often you want to be here, totally cool. All right. Thank you, man. I, the feeling is mutual. We're Even gonna if do I'm more, doing an interview, we're I'll gonna, bring you in. All right. We're going to do more stuff in the future together, I suspect, beyond this. And uh, I'm always good to flex my musical muscles and uh, brainificate on things with you. That's a word. Um, that's a word. That's a, that's a George W. Brainificate. Mm-hmm. And um, thinkify. And uh, yeah, I just um, let's not do that. Let's not do that. But I have been I started a new job this week. I have been up since 5 a.m. Uh, 5 45 a.m. today. Yesterday I had three coffees and a little more sleep today. I'm only on one coffee and a less sleep. I feel about the same. Um, but this is the best part of my day getting to nerd out on shit. And um, speaking yeah. of coffee, I'm going to jump in. I am getting closer and closer back to my pre pandemic levels of a cold brew on the way in and then tea for the rest of the day. You know, it, it's as great, as awful as things were last year for me, that's how good they are this year. I've always kind of felt I've had the life where if I told everybody what my life is really like, they wouldn't believe me because they'd say I'm making things up on the internet. And if I told everybody how bad last year was, they would say that I was making things up to get sympathy on the internet. And this year we're kind of regressing back to the mean which is nice, but it's still last year was such a kick in the nutsack on a daily basis. It really was. That, and um, I also, I'll be honest, like I thought that 2019 was pretty bad for me also. And I had been like, well, it can't get any worse. And then I was reminded of my mother's famous phrase. It can always get worse. That was the, <laughs> that was her motto. It can always get worse. It wasn't encouraging or positive in any way. Uh, I will she tell was a you, great person otherwise. As somebody who had the worst birthday, birthday of his life last year, and yeah. it's not a competition because nobody will top it. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> thank God nobody will have a worse birthday than that unless you get shot personally. But uh, don't ever ask yourself what's next. That's, That's but, it. You're supposed to just reach out for the random and let it come to you by the ticket, take the ride, let it happen to you. Shh, just let it happen. And exactly. um, just let it happen. And, um, you know, um, this is, things Things are a cycle. Everything is cyclic in life. There's no, 
I'm a big believer in just shit happens and it's random. There's no reason why. There must be a reason why. Stop looking for one. Things just happen. So last no, year was terrible. There is a reason why. And every album is a concept album if you look hard enough. Okay, fair enough. When I did the podcast about Born Again with Duncan, when we when yeah. we covered that one, I, I found I a con I found a concept record in that on on that album. Okay. I don't think Tony Iommi did. No. But I sure as hell found it. Maybe Geezer I, and Ian did. Well, I, let me say, I'm glad to hear things are going better for you. I'm glad things are going better for me, a little bit selfishly. But uh, we are here to talk about, in my humble opinion, probably the greatest band in the history of all time. Whether or not they're your favorite is another thing. This is a band that has always done precisely what they want and nothing else. Except for, in my opinion, what we're about to talk about. Who are we talking about today? We are talking about Metallica. Metallica today announced two 40th anniversary concerts. It seems like yesterday it was 30 years. I know, 10 right? years ago. It was actually 10 years ago in August. So I, August or December, I'm trying to remember when it was. But um, I was dying to go to those. Didn't work out in my life at the time. Another period of uh, transition for me. And... Um, you know, I just couldn't get to San Francisco at that time. I, I had visited. The Can city you get there earlier. this time? I could. It's literally <laughs> across town from me. Now that what they're doing, because of the whole thing two years ago with S&M and the admission that they are complicit, like all major acts, they're, they're complicit with Live Nation in boosting reseller and scalping uh, activities. This is every major band, it's not just Metallica, but I think it was shocking that it was Metallica, um, but it also makes sense that it's Metallica. Um, they've never been ashamed to be capitalist. That's a fair thing. So if you recall, they were outed, the show sold out in minutes, no fans got tickets. It was all scalpers and secondary markets. It's still sold out. They were still no empty seats in the place. So clearly those tickets moved hands to fans by the end of the, by the day of the show, because it's Metallica. And then they added a second show that was only, they changed their fan club, which may not have been for the best because it used to be the fifth member of the Metallica family fan club was very intimate, a personal experience you paid. Not everybody could join. It was selective in a way. And now kind of they opened it up when Hardwired came out, I think for the ticket lottery, for the VIP snake pit lottery, they made it a new thing where anyone can join, but you still have to kind of like be proactive. And they've used it with uh, All Within My Hands very well on their charity arm. So they announced today two concerts only sold through their fan to their fifth member members. So you either have to be a member or sign up to become one. But there's a lottery to get tickets. You have to win the right to buy tickets. There's no other way to get them. I'm sure that scalpers will still become fan members and do it, but it's a little bit kinder and more thoughtful to try to get your fans in there. And um, and it's the same venue, the Chase Center, which is now you know their kind of home venue. Here, you know, and 25 years ago when they legalized scalping, <clears throat> I thought this is a great thing because they're finally doing this correctly. And you know, free market, blah blah blah. Because you know how big of a free market guy I am, you know. But what I did not envision in 1996 was this cottage industry that would screw my ass and make me spend $130 for a $25 ticket to see Casey fucking Musgraves. It couldn't happen until it was the 
technology allowed for it to be nefarious with bots and very mm -hmm. sophisticated things. But also Live Nation is in on it. They're not in cahoots. They're in on it. They're part of it. Like they, like are, a it, they are the conspiracy. They are like almost racketeering their own company. And then all the major bands, all the major bookings, all the, you know, I think actually the mistake was Live Nation should not have been allowed to buy venues. A, none of these big ticket companies, ticketing uh, faces, they shouldn't be able to control all the venues also because it's too much of a boondoggle to throw old timey words at you. What but anyway. Like, the one thing, I, okay, let me just say one thing and then we'll move, then we'll move yeah, on. Yeah, no, no, you're good, you're good. Excuse me. The one thing I like about Live Nation buying those is it has lowered the ticket prices for me for our local shed. I can get in to see anybody for like 15 bucks still because they know I'm going to go there on my $15 ticket and buy six $28 beers. Yeah. So, I mean, it evens out. But anyway, moving forward, today we're – oh, before we get on to the specifics, something that has been – uh, kind of nudging at my craw for the past couple of weeks since it's been announced. As before we recorded this, obviously the Metallica Black Album box set has been has been announced. And when I bought Justice, Justice is the only one I have. I did not buy the the the, the preceding three. The big big guys, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got one, and I got Justice, yeah. and I only bought that because of the Seattle concert on vinyl. I wanted that. We discussed and that, yeah. Definitely what I was concerned about with this new one, because I told my wife, I'm only buying this one. I'm not going to buy any more. I didn't buy any of the other ones. I didn't talk to you about them. I want this one. I, I'm not a big guy for those giant sets. It's just not my, not my bag. I don't get enough value out of them. I find that most of the material in there is a watch once, listen once kind of thing. And so I'm not willing to drop $200 on a lot of these. But I was worried that they were going to pack the Black Album box set full of so much stuff that i said you know what 400 bucks seems reasonable so the good news is it's not 400 it's 240 which is a 40 dollar increase over justice which was a 40 dollar increase over the other three and frankly i'm happy to say i'm not buying it i you might know? buy it um but also i'm a completist i have none of those giant metal i have some metallica on vinyl I have the really cool sold out in a minute Walmart colored ones, which is cool. I have none of those. I have a couple of those. I'm, I stood fast in my anti Walmart stance. And I understand. I, ha I, I had Walmart. most of those anyway. I hate Walmart. Yeah. Again, I did cave let, in and buy that. Let me say, I stood fast, but I also had most of those on vinyl anyway. Fair, fair enough. So I need if, to probably Ride the Lightning is my favorite Metallica album, first of all. Creeping Death is my favorite Metallica song. I also think that Master of Puppets is an absolute 10 of 10 perfect album. And my, you know, uh, you know, one A, one B. I just ride lightning was the first Metallica thing I heard fully and has been indelibly, even, even with Escape, it's been indelibly burned into me. And, um, and my love of Cliff Burton and just how I made music when I made music and my whole life. I will probably buy the Black Album big set at some point. I will not, I don't care about the Blacklist covers album. There's a couple of interesting names on there. I think that's just BS. I, we said this a couple of weeks ago. It's just dumb. It's Richard Pryor trying to be in the toy and like, why can't I be in everybody's home and loved? 
because you're Richard Pryor and you make dick jokes and, and crack jokes. jokes crack and racism and things and you're not so you you know your best stuff is when you work blue stop trying to be loved by everybody Lars I'm gonna blame Lars Lars want I understand about selling more records okay maybe a couple of Juanes fans in the world like rock and metal and are fascinated to hear a Juanes cover of a Metallica song Miley Cyrus apparently loves heavy metal and is making a, like a probably an EP of metals covers, possibly even all Metallica covers. Cool, fine, I get it. If, you know that helps us. That puts money in our pocket. Whatever that makes us more popular with people who are not metalheads and rock fans. Why fucking bother courting these people? They were not on our team all these years. They're not suddenly going to wake up one day and be like Metallica is awesome because they're huge. That's, we don't want you. I don't want their fans. I don't want these songs. I did not need 53 Metallica Black Album covers. There's enough great Metallica Black Album covers already. I don't need another one. I don't need I make, not one more. Can I make one point? Sure. I think you're looking... I, I agree with everything you just said. Let me say that first. Yeah, no problem. Okay. I think you're looking at this from the wrong point of view. Probably. Metallica is not a metal band anymore. No, they're a big rock band. Metallica, they're still metal, but Metallica yeah. is not that anymore. They're yeah, not they don't belong to us. Right. They are now an A-plus list band. They are. So, of course, they're going to get all this ridiculous crap that you and I are going to look at and go, ah, uh, yeah. So, yes, the, the covers album Stupid. I'm disappointed in the the Black Album box set, but that's good for me because I get to buy more underground stuff. So I like, yeah, I like the idea of remastering the Black Album. Good, very good. Let's get a remastered Black Album. I'm in. I like demo versions. Let's hear. Let's hear some demos. We, but also, if you've seen like a year and a half of the life of Metallica, I have a feeling a lot of these things are going to sound familiar to you. No, I didn't even been, think about that, but yeah, and there's also a DVD. Black, there's a of, yeah. of outtakes. Right. We've been black albumed a lot. The because because that was the point of saturation when they became who they are now. That was the maturity phase. And so they were no longer underground. I would say probably, okay, black album hits, sells a million fast, first real metal album to sell a million records in the modern era, if you will. And in the certainly in the sound scan era, right, which is 1990. And um, I was gonna say that for the record. Yeah, that's fine. And because uh, we're old enough to know what SoundScan is and no one listening does. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like, do you know what Ticketron is or Ticket, you know, before Ticketmaster, Ticketron? We didn't have that. We okay. had MetroTix. MetroTix. Very well. Same difference. Um, I'm sure. So, you know. I remember seeing commercials for Ticketron, though. I, I like how you, I like you approached me about this in a fun way. And I said, yes, immediately. Cause I'll say yes to just about anything. Uh, no to liver, no to man of war, no to journey, no to the show friends, no to very few things in life, uh, but no to those things. I, I'm so knowing all those things too, just for the I said I said, yes, that's why we're buddies. I said yes <laughs> immediately to this. And I like the idea of examining this decade. Not just because Metallica is celebrating now, you know, celebrating forty, and Black Album is thirty, and Kill 'Em All is gonna is forty, and like it's a, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Like they 
James Hetfield's dream was to be in a band like Aerosmith. His heroes were Aerosmith. And I don't know if you know the story. He wrote like fan letters to them. And no. he was heartbroken. He never got a reply. Heartbroken. And actually started not liking them because they didn't write him back. He worshipped Joe Perry and Brad Whitford. He learned every Aerosmith song when he got a guitar. I think about like teenage, bad acne, blonde haired James Hetfield in Southern California playing like Walk This Way Badly in his bedroom after junior high school on a, on that white Explorer, which he probably didn't have yet, but some other kind of serious here's, guitar. Here's, here's how young I am comparatively. When you said playing Walk This Way, my thought is, no, that song's from 86. Yeah, Run DMC, of course. Right. Um, we could do a whole thing on that rap rock. I know. We, there's um, lots of things we, we can will. do. We will. Someday. Most likely. Um, so... I like the idea of revisiting this decade. I became a Metallica fan in 85, 86. I had known who they were. I read guitar magazines. That was my music magazines was my introduction to a lot of music, not just metal. I was into heavy metal. I love Judas Priest. I considered most of what heavy metal is to be classic rock. And I didn't know that it was heavy metal until later. I also think that Motley Crue is like the same as George Michael Prince and Michael Jackson and Madonna because they were so popular. They were on radio where I live. We discussed that's that. what I was saying about Metallica yeah. earlier. Yeah. So I think about that first decade when they were groundbreaking and innovative and unique. Okay, Kill 'em All is faster Motorhead with a few other cool creative things. Slightly, it's it's faster and slightly better. Better sounding. I don't know if it's better written. I'm not a big play. fan of Motorhead. I understand. Fairness. I am huge motorhead fan but um you could make a case that you know kill them all is was groundbreaking for what it was at that moment the speed the aggression the rips the uh guitar production thrash metal and more than that it was the first break from heavy metal yeah for sure yes and that it was more serious and angry than most heavy metal at the time right and that including maiden who i love Maiden's not angry. Maiden is what is no, Star Wars. They're a little too fucking happy, actually. They're it's, a little it's too Star goofy. Wars. It is what it is. It's, it's. I know people like to bust. I'm just gonna sidebar for one second and say like, we we're gonna do a whole episode on Yannick Gears and how he doesn't play guitar live at all. But what but I'm he, gonna just yes, he does. Say, I refuse to believe he's not that. play any guitar at all. He's not plugged in or turned on until it's his time to do the one solo he does. But what I'm gonna say is Yannick Gears. If you don't like Yannick Gears and he infuriates you as an Iron Maiden fan. He is the essence of Iron Maiden's whole career in a person right now. And I love Iron Maiden to pieces. We are on the eve of getting an announcement of a new Iron Maiden record. And you cannot see my boner under the table, but it's enormous for my for me. And um, positively engorged. And I just can't take it. Okay, but, there is such a thing as too much horn talk. And yes. a fellow ought to be aware of it. Yes. And so, anyway... But the reality is Metallica was a little more American, obviously American, serious. It was angrier. the first American metal. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much I, uh, it, true metal know, band. When you talk about like Aerosmith was, you know, people say Aerosmith was metal. Deep Purple was metal. You know, know, they know, no. People say it. I'm, look, I know they say do. it. I'm not saying it. People say it. I, I've heard, you know, a lot of people are saying it, they were proto-metal. They were metal adjacent in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Hard rock that became metal or, you know, you know Thin Lizzy, Thunder and Lightning could be right, said to be right. almost metal, but, but that was already after Metallica. Metallica was the first 
American metal. It was it was like how Aerosmith was the first American great rock band. They really were. Them and ZZ Top actually neck and neck about the same time. ZZ same Top year. was blues when they started. Doesn't count. Different deal. The, you know, Aerosmith was a fully functioning rock band. ZZ Top was a hybrid. It's a different deal. Right. I'm splitting hairs because I'm losing them. That's fine. And that's fair. But Metallica was the first American metal. It didn't really exist. And it created a new genre. And it created, oh, we don't have to be like Judas Priest. We don't have to be like Iron Maiden. We can no. be metal and be something else. That is what is so innovative to me about Kill 'em All. And Was and it? even and even Slayer and and obviously Megadeth, because Dave was part of it, but even right. Slayer for all their wacky original you know originality and anthrax all directly the only band that was not directly influenced from metallica that's part of that early era is exodus who stole kirk hammett <laughs> and did, uh, exodus did influence absolutely metallica. i mean they were first and they were they invent that's the like double bass and the riffs are gary and uh kirk hammett and then later mm -hmm. uh rick honald so um the, the h team so uh you know i um i think that first decade is unfuckwithable agreed and people let people back when i was a little kid were like i don't like metallica they're too soft and that was like master of puppets was out and i was like what world are you on but they heard rain and blood and they were like no nope, i heard fade to black and that stuff is soft People already calling them a sellout or whatever. Yeah. Fade to Black's one of the greatest songs ever of any genre Agreed. by anybody. And they stole a riff in that song, of course, too. So, like, they stole a Diamond Head riff. riff We're not going to talk about the little bits and bobs no, they've no. stolen. But, so the know, 80s, yeah, the 80s are untouchable. But I know better or worse the than The 90s are fascinating, regard. right? Because, like, you start with a band that, okay, finally had a video. No radio airplay whatsoever except underground. No mass radio, no big cities, no, there were very few metal stations even in America at this time. They were of, played on Casey's Monday Night Metal at that, during the Justice Era. But there's one before, before we get into the serious, the, 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 the yeah, beginning of this topic, let's just quickly, I'm just going to quickly timeline their career for the one person who's been hit on the head or is too drunk while they're listening. Go so ahead. you have 80, 83, Kill em All comes out, they tour with Raven who scared me, not in a way that's good for metal, but like the, the hockey helmets and the, lo the loincloths, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm down, I'm out. Then, then they start moving, they move into, which Kill em All is a great record, don't have it on vinyl, still need that one, but it, it, it's clearly a kid's record with nothing to say. Then they move into Just, or not Justice, they move into Ride the Lightning, which is an amazing record. It is fuck with a bolt for me because of escape and fight fire with fire. The former is far weaker than the latter, in my humble opinion. Then they move into, and I will go to my grave on this one. This is my hot. This is this is my Metallica hot take. The Kirk Hammett, James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, Cliff Burton, Air, Metallica. That version of Metallica only had one album, and it was Master of Puppets. Everything else was the Dave Mustaine version with Ron McGovney. You can make Augmented. a case that Dave wrote a couple of songs on Master too. It's been hotly debated. I refuse um, to believe that. I'm, we're, we're moving on. Moving on. Continue. Moving on. So Master of Puppets. In, so then they get they get notoriety on Master of Puppets because they're opening for Ozzy, do a world tour. Obviously, Cliff dies. 
Apparently there was press that Cliff had died. I never saw a word of it personally. I don't know. Then I didn't know did that it. Cliff had died until a few weeks later. I was already into Metallica. I, I wasn't though, in fairness. Yeah, I didn't really. There was no apparatus to be plugged into to find out about these right. things. And so Musician Magazine, I used to subscribe. I had like the whole 80s worth of them at one point. And it just shows up with his, it's like one of the first stories inside, like basis of Metallica, Cliff Burton, this, this date to this date. It's, and I was just like, could not. It is it. really, really hard to explain to somebody who's not of our generation, because we're both Gen Xers, what the world was like being a music fan in the 80s and 90s. Because it wasn't an internet. We didn't have the 24-hour news cycle. We didn't get 15 tweets from Metal Sucks a day about what Lars Ulrich had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So Or Ghost without, Cult. What? Or Ghost Cult. Or Ghost Cult. I was, I was being nice. I know. Anyway. You can be nice. So, I like, we like Metal Sucks here. It's fine. It's I, I like Metal Sucks too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, <laughs> Look, I need to get my big I need to get my big metal news too. <laughs> you didn't have that. So a band would go dark, like a band like Metallica would go dark for years in terms of news. Why? Because they were on the fucking road. You know, Metallica toured on, like they they would tour for a year in times when no one did. Then they just this had something like five hundred tour dates in two years. That's insane yeah. for a band that. that is unknown in arenas. Well, they were in arenas on that except, tour, only arenas. And, ex- and- no. No. <clears throat> Hear me out. I was going to tell this story. Now you made oh, me. Go ahead. Thank, yeah, okay. thank you. I only know this because I have the Justice box set. If you have the Justice box set, you'd know this story. Lars Ulrich, during the Justice tour, had this idea. Metallica's playing all 50 states. However, there's no arena in Delaware. So they played a bar in Delaware. Am I wearing my Waynesville hat? We're in yes. Delaware. I'm yes. in Delaware. Uh, hey, ride them turtle, dude. Delaware. I've exactly. been to Delaware. It's unremarkable. I, I know. They don't have an arena. They don't have a minor league hockey team. A minor, they don't have an arena. Yeah. Every they really state should be annexed by Jersey. Or, New Jersey or Pennsylvania should just annex them. How do you have a state in America without an arena? Anyway, so have you ever seen Fight Club? No, Brad Pitt's on my no list. Really interesting. Yes. Uh, he, he can't act. So okay. Uh, well, oh well, that kills that. Fight Club is is meant to be set in Delaware, where all the credit card companies are that act with impunity. By the way, go ahead. All right, so I'm not gonna see it. So yeah, they played it, they, and that show somebody filmed it with a camcorder, and it's in the Justice box set. I have not watched it because why would I watch that? when you can't see anything and it's on a 1980s camcorder. But yeah, so they play the entire nation on Injustice for All. Then now we can move into, and then at the end of Injustice for All, they're the biggest metal band on the planet that's not named Iron Maiden. And at that time, it's a really real last point and then we'll move forward, I'm sorry. Don't be late, this was necessary to set the table for the whole series. That's an 1990 is when Iron Maiden and I love Iron Maiden. You know that everybody knows this. I would. I'm not going to say what I would do with Bruce Dickinson, but you know what that. You know what it is. It's 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 the new millennium. You know, no more lines. Anyway, so 
1990, Iron Maiden comes out with No Prayer for the Dying, which is arguably the worst record they've put out. Except for mm. A Matter of Life and Death, before that album. No Prayer for the Dying is, is objectively bad. It's got two or three tracks, and the rest is Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. Uh, that's like letting Ozzy Osbourne write Black Sabbath tunes right there. So you have Iron Maiden fading and Metallica rising. And then in two years, when Metallica's exploding, Iron Maiden is imploding. So you have two of the, you have the two biggest metal, current metal bands on completely opposite trajectories. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. And also they, yeah, it's just, it was a strange, a confluence, a confluence of things happened to make Metallica become the Metallica we know before I, the Black Album. If Iron Maiden hadn't put out No Prayer, <clears throat> we might not be talking about Metallica the way we talk about them now. It's possible. I mean, Bruce was going to probably do, he had already done a solo record. He was definitely going to leave the band at some point. They were struggling uh, to creatively, clearly they started to top out. Again, if you have five or six albums at the beginning of your career that can fuck with fucking Iron Maiden's first fucking bunch of albums, I'm just going to say a lot of fucks here. Um, it's fine, it's fine. If, if you can't, you know, again, Metallica's first bunch, untouchable. Maiden's first bunch, even with Deanna, who I love, untouchable music. And then, you know, it's hard for anybody to have that longevity forever. Agreed. Everybody falls well, And off. Iron Maiden put out an album every year. They put out a record every year. Every year. They toured the world every year. Exactly. It's and hard. They were at their peak and everything. they maintained that right. pace. And they maintained that pace of excellence for most of that decade. 12 years, basically, they did. Yeah. And then and then a, a couple of duds. But, um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, again, I think all these things conspired to help them. Um. You know, Priest was as big as possible at this time. You know, Painkiller is huge. Mm -hmm. um, after Turbo, especially. I love Turbo, but Painkiller is incredible. Slayer is Slayer, but they're just not. Slayer mainstream. has always been the same level band. Yeah. They've always been a, a 3,000 seater band. Yes and no. We can get to that another time. But like, I think the thing about Slayer is they just were not going to break through in a commercially positive way. Oh, never. Because they could could not be on, they could not be a commercial rock band. And Metallica saw the Cult, and Metallica saw Doctor Feelgood Motley Crew, and Metallica saw Def Leppard, and they oh, saw Hysteria. You should point out the Cult opened for Metallica. The cult on the opened Justice for tour. Metallica on the Justice Tour, which made them like, oh shit. Why don't we sound, why can't we do some straight ahead songs like this? We could still be ourselves and do this. Uh, maybe, um, you know, I think maybe. the management had something to do with it. Q Prime was a huge factor in developing and pushing Metallica out of their comfort zone to not stay in the metal ghetto, which Millars has called it. We had to get out of the metal ghetto. They I felt like, that like term. I don't mind it. And I'm from the ghetto, so I appreciate what they mean. Oh my. And, um, you know, there were a lot of copycat bands and much like how Eddie Van Halen felt about shredders and why he wanted to do different kinds of music and synths and synth guitars and other things, because he felt like if I continue to do Ain't Talking About Love, everybody's doing that now. 
and I have to right. do something else to keep being me and do it my way. So like, I understand Metallica was like, well, we have to change. So I respect that. Also the Aussie tour. Also now they had toured arenas. Then they experimented with a couple of arena shows themselves and they sold out again, no radio play tape trading metal magazines were just becoming a thing in the world. There isn't this ecosystem that can support a band that can become this big. They paved the way. I know Completely. it's going to sound like very you know, worshiping and fanboying, but it's really true when I tell you as a person that was a fan at this time that there was no other band that has had the career arc that Metallica has had. And I mean that to go from an underground unknown band to on MTV at dinner time a few years, within a few, within 10 years from their Not even bedroom, 10 years. less than 10 years from their bedroom to like your living room is un, it is unheard of how they did it's, it. It's important to point out that trajectory. They went from mm. 1983, they're a club band opening, they're opening for a club band getting paid $5 on show days five bucks a show that was what metallica made in 1983 on the kill em all for one tour by 1989 six years six years is longer than the doors entire career for the record from post first album but the doors never the doors think about this for a second we're talking i'm mentioning and bandying about one of the most legendary american rock bands of all time yeah, they were around for like four years, three years. Four. Yeah, four, uh, maybe four. Four, five actual numbers. The first album was 67, the last album was 71. Yeah. So maybe um, those five numbers, four years. Let's also just talk about like the hard work of like John and Marsha Zazula. Oh, yeah. Old, Old Bridge Militia, the whole Bay Area metal scene. Europe becoming huge Metallica fans. Um, early, early magazines like Art Shark in the Dutch countries like Belgium and the Netherlands loving Metallica and getting them to come out there and play shows that people were ravenous for. So a lot of respect to Europe coming out first. Obviously your big scene cities in America, Chicago, New York, New Jersey, Los Angeles, California, San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, you have pockets of places, other things. Not St. Louis this time. Where are you at, St. Louis? Not St. Louis. but um, Not St. Louis. Not St. Louis, but later. later. Um, you know, um, and so all these things com congealed. Let's just, just all these things, even with all of that, and they get Bob Rock, who did Dr. Feelgood, because he but did Dr. Hang Feelgood. Hang on, hang on. Before we get to that point, with all of that, they achieved platinum status. They achieved arena headlining. They didn't quite have a platinum record. Like, so, so just to really qualify this a little bit, when a record comes out, if it sells over many years, it does earn a platinum record. That's admirable. A platinum now is much lower than it used to be, first of all. Platinum now is one-tenth of what it used to be. And what makes a gold or a platinum record has to do with spins and plays also. Right. So it's many, many, much, much, one-tenth the amount of sales and X number of thousands of plays equals one sale also. So an actual true platinum record, they didn't have one until the, the Black Album 
came out and within I think a few months it was platinum, which is insane. No, I thought I thought Justice was double. later. Later. Was it? Okay, later. well they were okay. Well, fair enough. They, they re-released had... all those records on CD immediately within the year the black album came out. And they were like, you know, newly put on CD for the first time ever. Injustice, kill them all. We were, and we were all su- we were all sucking the we were all sucking on the CDs knob at that. The Cumberland, the Columbia House knob, and Tower Records, oh, and, oh, I was, yeah. and Sam Goody, and Strawberry. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they they're but they're they're they had achieved the level Iron Maiden had on the Justice tour. Almost, I think. Yeah, by the Justice tour, yes. I was I would say they not they were still not quite. I have to go and double check, verify this, but I'm I'm not sure they had headlined a European festival by themselves until the blackout. But they were almost there. They were definitely like top of the bill. They just weren't at the top, you know. Right. So well, more or less, Iron Maiden. Maiden style. had done Castle Donington. Maiden had now, headlined Rockin'. Right. Yeah, so like yeah, not yeah. quite Maiden level, but Maiden had a huge head start on them. Right. Many more albums than them. Maiden has right. doubled the album, maybe almost double the albums of Metallica by the Black Album. Right. Like five, six, seven albums by the time Metallica had four. Right. And let's just face it, Europe being smaller and a little more diehard on right. heavy metal. Heavy metal is was at one point their national was music. European. Was their na- it is European, it is their national music. European by by way of American blues. And um right, completely. You That's know, right, kids. Metal is not a rock subgenre. It's a blues subgenre. Thank you. Um, I will die. That's on my tombstone. Word. Uh, I have That's a, why Metallica doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they should be in the Blues Hall of Fame. <laughs> or Madonna can get in. Whatever. Who the fuck cares? It's a goddamn <laughs> building in a museum. It's a building by... It's Jan Wenner's building and it doesn't And it's matter. fine. Let them in. Who cares? It's Whatever. It's really fine. And Sorry. they've never been actually like the very first class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Isn't even Rock had and Roll. Two rock people, and it's no, no one you think work, of. But rock is not rock and roll. We're gonna fight this another day. Moving yeah, forward. Yeah, it's I'm not sorry. a fight. It's um, we're aligned. And, okay, fair um, enough. I don't care about the rock. I don't care about halls of fames or award shows. They're nice. I do. When they pat you on the back, they're nice. It's like a horoscope. When it applies to you, cool. The rest of the time, nah, I don't care. Exactly. All I care about is that one time. It's fine. Anyway, so, so they, they had achieved a level of popularity and sales that metal bands never get. It, 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 it's, it's very rare. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So when you go to record the Black Album, you know, they've got, they finished the tour with the cult. And you know what? Say whatever you want about Bob Rock. Bob Rock is amazing. He's a true visionary, a true genius, and he gets the job done. And the Black Album probably sounds better than any Metallica record ever. Still, still to this day, yeah. they never duplicated it. I don't think they should have tried to, but like, yeah, the things that I don't like about Bob Rock are small in comparison to the greatness and things he's put down. Right. They were at the height of their thing. They were able to make hard rock songs stand alongside metal songs actual true thrash metal there's three or four thrash metal songs on that record there's i a would of- say the black album is metal but it stopped being an extreme metal and went down to a traditional level did did you say this thing on the um podcast you and i and duncan did 
or you and I did, where you said 30, 30, 30, like a kiss. Yeah, that's, that's my thing, 30, 30, that's 30. A, that's a Nickism. That's a, a Nickism. Nick, a Nick Cameronism. It really should be third, third, third. But yeah, 30, 33, 30, 33, 33. And a third. 33 and, and a third, 33, 33. But 30, and 30, 30 sounds good. And better. record speed is 33rd and a third. <gasps> oh, ooh. <gasps> what? Yeah. Kiss and Iron Maiden are the master, the master practitioners of Priest the 30, also. 30, 30. Priest also. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Priest, so I can't I say. I love Priest, man. Alice love Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, that's true. Um, so the Black Album, yeah, the Black Album is, so they get to the, they get to, let, let, just right before the Black Album, they're writing what will become the Black Album. Also, here's a cool thing. I don't know if Metallica fans ever know this, but like Lars gave a clue away many years ago that they tend to write their albums mostly sequentially. Then they fight about the set list order later. For a long time, most Metallica records after Kill 'Em All, those three after Metallica, Kill 'Em All, were like fast song, fast song, slow song, ballad ish. Oh, yeah, they, they had the line. They had a they formula. Was, but then, was, you know, they no, tweaked it. Was, tweak, it was, uh, it was speed metal. They generally speed wrote metal, title track, right. mid tempo rocker, ballad. Right. That was side one. For sure. And they, yeah, thinking about albums like Side 1 and Side A and Side B, Side 1, Side 2. They and the tapes. They, all my early Metallica stuff was on CD or tape. They definitely had a formula and they used to write very sequentially. So whatever the last songs on the album were, were often the last songs they wrote. And Lars once said in an interview I had read many, many moons ago when I was a young Keefe, that um, he was like, you can always kind of hear where we're going by the time we write our last, the last song you hear on an album is sometimes an indicator of what is next. Uh, Damage Incorporated is very proggy and interesting and is very similar to Injustice for All. Mm -hmm. Dyer's Eve, even though it's fast, it's kind of a rock song. It's but not it's a short. fast, it's not, it's short, it's thrashed. It's not that thrashy, it's punk almost. And, um, and it's a very raw, unsophisticated song, considering that whole album is very sophisticated writing-wise. So That is the album that takes the, the average length of song for that record down to six and a half minutes. Yeah. You sure. take that one out, and I think the average length like is 10. eight. Yeah, it's long. Um, That's what I like about it, though. It's a good track. And then, the, and then you can make a case that, like, actually, My, my Friend of Misery and... Um, the God That Failed are very similar songs to what is ends up being granted many years later on load, um, unintentionally, but very, very interesting. Mid-tempo, not so heavy, uh, you know. Not a quite more, knowing what it is. It, not, quite, not quite sure what they had in it. Um, Struggle Within is also one of the last, Struggle Within the last song on the Black album. It's like yeah. the throwaway song on that album. It's a decent track. It's not... <laughs> You know, you know, there. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the in the world of the Black Album, but I will say there are two absolute fucking throwaway tunes on that record. Struggle within, because I mean that's just them rewriting Freight and Insanity, but badly. It's them ripping themselves off and fucking it up, which I mean that's amazing that they did that. And uh, through the never, I love through the never. Actually, really? through the never is one of my favorite songs on there. Right? Uh, fair enough. I think um, it's a throwaway. I don't even. I don't even. I yeah, don't even I would, think that's filler. I would get rid of the God that failed. Actually, and whoa, no, yeah. love that one. As a good, good, 
great beat, great vocal, great vocal. I so, have to remember, I'm an angry agnostic. I say, I mean, yeah, I understand. Um, I understand. Um, held back by the deep and nail. It's still like such a biting lyric. I mean, it's so cheesy, but but it's so good. It's so good. So um, we but hang on. Let's let's back up a little bit. So we're talking about the writing of this. When they're on the precipice of this, when they're getting ready to go into the studio, they have two paths they can take. Path on the left, the left-hand path, is just being totally fucking metal and just being metal forever and never breaking through. The path on the right, the well, right-hand breaking path. through, I think they just were not going to get much bigger than they were. No, they, 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 were, they had broken through. Had Metallica continued on the left-hand yeah, path, one. as I'm calling it. Yeah, one is the, you know, the they, most commercial they were going to get. Right. If they well, stayed and they had achieved their highest level. Good place to be. Or they can go on the right-hand path, tone it down a little bit, shorten it up, bring in somebody that can, can smooth out the rough edges, and we'll actually yell at them and tell them how, you know, how to write their songs like a real – bring in a producer – and you know what? Maybe they set themselves up and their children up for life on one record. Because apparently, according to Newstead, the the other three Metallica members, when he joined the band, were already set for life. And he was set for life just on Justice. I and don't know he, if that's and true. he has one writing credit on the whole thing, which is insane. Yeah, but uh, he did all that touring and all that yeah, business. Yeah. They so. had bought. They had got off the Justice tour, bought new houses. Married their girlfriends, had some babies, yada yada. Right. You know, got fancy places in in the Bay Area. I think, like, you can't underestimate. I know it's hard to say what if the person in Metallica that was actually the most interested in being a hard rock band, the person who was the most musical, the person who was the most talented in the whole band, was Cliff Burton. And Cliff Burton wanted them to do these epic spaghetti western, fade the blacks and uh, sanitariums on every album and he wanted a whole album of sanitariums he talked about this and he was very into counterpoint and guitar harmonies and guitar armies and this Led Zeppelin type of Tony Iommi 10 guitar track shits and the rest of those guys when he died I don't know what happened with James and Lars but between their you know BS that they put Jason through they also kind of circled the wagons and four became two. I love Kirk, and he had more writing credits on, uh, you know, uh, on Load and Reload, as we have been discussed, than anything else when we discussed Load. But like, it's weird that they didn't let him. He was in Exodus. He wrote some great riffs in Exodus. He doesn't get any credit for it. Um, I'm sure he could have come up with some stuff at the appropriate time. I, I think you're missing out on one thing. I don't think he cared. That's also probably true. He was We're also talking, Mr. Guitar Solo Hero at that time. Right. We're talking about a dude that just walks in and goes, oh, you need a solo? <laughs> Bam. Think about it. Like, he love. wrote the Injustice solos in a couple of days. You know, he on the fly, he hates them, actually doesn't like most of them except really? for one solo. He said repeatedly that like they spent so much time on the drum sound and so much time tracking guitar rhythms. They left him no time to cut the album and his parts of the album. So James played all the rhythms as they were doing right. back then. And harmonies. And, Kirk, and, and harmonies. And mostly Kirk came in and did his leads. 
and he hadn't really even wrote some of them. He just kind of winged them. He pulled a, he pulled an Ace Fraley style. He pulled an Ace Fraley, and he really didn't. He had some of them worked out, but he mostly made them up on the spot, and then kind of like was like, "Oh, that wasn't the." Now I have to play this shit that I normally wouldn't have done, which is fine. So on the Black Album, he really had like, I have all the time in the world to work out every solo multiple ways. And um, and, just, and Newstead also, I think, for a guy who was his, like, okay, not only did they choose him because he could play with James and he's a great performer and great bassist. He's not Cliff, but he's incredible, incredible guy. He wrote more than half of those Flotsam records he's on. So like he knew how to write songs. They just chose to not like let him. And you know, I've never understood that. Jason Newstead performed on, what is it? Four, four Metallica records. Dude has three co-writes. Eric and didn't have any, almost none. He had like two true. or three. He had two or three or Her four. Record. I mean, like they're crediting him for things like guitar solos and no, parts. he the way he described by my hand half. is a riff he took from Exodus. The, the way he described it on Year and a Half, and this is what I'm assuming is what happened. I'm I'm extrapolating using my journalistic integrity and beers I'm drinking to you know break to stretch this. But the way he described it was he would get calls from Lars at four in the morning while he and James were in a songwriting session, and he would play Kirk this guitar riff that Kirk played three years ago on the road because they recorded everything. And he'd be like, this might be the second time I'd ever heard that riff. And they would find a place to put that. And then bam, songwriting credit. That's how I, that's how I interpreted it. You know, he, like James had these riff tapes and then Lars and James took those riffs and melded them into something. However, mm-hmm. but if you, and this is probably something that deserves to be discussed more than it has been. The Newstead album and the Newstead EP, well, I mean, it was one thing, really, because he did put all those songs again. That was great. Yeah, I really and honestly come back to it, but I think he's not into it. I don't, I think Jason's done. And he doesn't need money. If no, you don't need money, you don't, you do whatever you want to do. Uh, one of my favorite quotes ever is, if you ever go back, I don't know if you're a Howard Stern fan, um, or Howard Stern fans out there that have Sirius at the premium level and you want to go back and find Evan Seinfeld of Biohazard and VH1's Making the Band or whatever the fuck that was and um, porno star and rapper Evan Seinfeld, formerly of Biohazard. And he's on, he does an episode with Stern probably like 10 years ago. And he was like, when I started out, I was broke, I was hungry, I was passionate and I would do anything for my art. And, and nothing was a boundary to me. Now that I'm filthy rich and I don't ever have to work another day in my life, I'm passionate about my art. I do what I want to do. Nobody is telling me what to do. Nothing seems like a bad idea. So it's the same arc, rich, super rich, super poor. In between is when you're chasing this record industry dream of um, you know trying to have a career and sell a single and get video plays. Right, so, and that's, that's exactly the precipice Metallica was on. And I and I I will say that I believe the Black Album it was a contrived effort chasing a hit, knowing that if they could break it through, they would be they would be unshackled permanently. Did they all conspire together to chase a hit commercial sounding record that was like no, ACDC, Def Leppard, The Cult? I think James and Lars did. You don't think it was also Q Prime? You don't think it was also the choice of Bob Rock? You don't think it was Electra? 
No, I think that the fact that they chose Bob Rock was a symptom of the the contrived idea of let's make a commercial album. Let's get some hits. Let's see if we can get a hit song. Uh, I, I wonder if they thought they had one hit song and it just turned into right. like seven. Right, right. I think that's accident. what it was. Because when one of the things that Duncan and I and, and the Department of Antiquities podcast when we listened back to, because one of my favorite things is listening to the second solo album. Not the first one, because the first one's like your debut album. The second one, however, is when you come back. And on the second solo album, there is a lot of chasing a hit. And you can hear the desperation for that. And I think that's what we tell this now? This, a second solo record on any- Oh, just in general. In general. Yeah. Okay. The second solo record is when the artist- because you, you typically the artist that goes solo barring roger waters oh by the way i forgot to mention this i wanted to flex a little bit uh tomorrow my copy of roger waters and ron geeson's music from the body shows up how is that possible is that on vinyl oh my god yes it is That's never insane. heard it never heard god. it oh it's a great oh it's fun it's Brought a fun it from seattle goodwill and they, they have an online store you can buy records at discogs Oh, Discogs, okay. At least the second one I bought from them. I also got Eternal Idol by Black Sabbath from them because they, they don't sell it at goodwill prices, but they do sell things below market value. Anywho, where was I at? That's a good flex. Thank you. Where, where was I? I lost myself. So, so, so Metallica's on two paths. They don't take the less travel path and stay thrash. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chasing the Hit. I think the album was Chasing a Hit. I just don't think... Do you think, think it was expect- Unforgiven or Nothing Else Matters? I think it was all of them. I understand, it was, man. It was chasing a hit. They're just, they're like, you know, one of these cars is going to be an ace. But it just turned out they all were. They were all aces, almost all of them. It's nuts. Right. And so then they have, as Jason Newstead put it, and as I would put it, they had a phenomenon record. And... When you have an album that goes 25 million copies, one out of every 10 people in America at that time... It was like Thriller or The Wall. Everyone fucking had it. Right. Everyone I knew... Think about this, though. Think about what one out of every 10 people in America means in 1992. Yeah. There were 250 fucking million people. Yeah. One out of every 10. That means two families out of three had that record. Which is like, is, that, is there even that many metalheads? I don't even think so. It's think just about like that, though. You're walking down the street in every yeah. two out of three houses. Have like Nirvana. Yeah. Yeah, same thing as Nirvana. It's crazy. Just to, just to conceptualize that, that the entire country, whew, that's crazy. It is absolutely batshit crazy. And again, inconceivable to heavy metal fans. Inconceivable. I mean, there's been moments like this before, but nothing ever really that happened the same way. And it was just a phenomenon. The Black Album sells 6,000 physical copies a week. Physical copies today, this week, they will sell 6,000 albums, a cassette, a CD, or a vinyl this week. That's 300,000 copies a year. There are bands. It will never sell 3,000 copies of a thing. I, I mean, Iron Maiden will never get those numbers on anything they put no, out this year. Nobody will actually. Only a handful of big, big artists. And again, I understand that on certain things, twenty-six billion streams. 
in a month. Like that sounds wild, but like in terms of sales, it's actually a few thousand because it takes. Well, I mean, like, I've seen like top ten Billboard records that sold. Excuse me, that sold in the hundreds. Right. They're top ten Billboard because they had fifteen billion streams, which pays them eight bucks. Right. Um. Yeah, it's it's insane. The record was an instant smash in New York City, where I was in in August of 1991. They had a listening party at Madison Square Garden. There's a night off at Madison Square Garden. College sports, Knicks basketball, Rangers hockey. August has preseason hockey, maybe basketball, not quite there yet. No preseason hockey in August. Training camp. Um, But like there's always something... The garden, there's always something happening. So, like, right. they had a night. They booked a night. This was planned well in advance to rent the, get the garden. You come in, and you have the long boxes on the CDs. Um, it's hard to even explain that to someone nowadays. What a long box is. So, I had, I, I never had, I only had a cassette player, and I was concerned that I could not get this album on cassette because it was going to sell out. I bought my first disc man with my job from Bagels on the Square on Carmine and Bleecker Street in the West Village of New York City, which uh, I have talked about in some of my video series on Ghost Cults YouTube. And uh, I bought a disc man and my first three CDs that I bought, the Black Album, Chicago 17, Phil Collins, but seriously, no fucking shame in that game. My first uh, CD player was 1992. Yeah. And me, being the principled metalhead I was, got uh, Dehumanizer, Queen, classic Queen, great, and, and Justice for All. Amazing. Because I stood by my principles. That's fine. I, my principles are also include pop music and rock and things like well, that. Well, mine do I, too. Chicago is one of my I, favorite bands ever. I, we have, uh, I have Chicago 4 on vinyl. That's cool. I've and been uh, watching, there's a CTA. great free documentary that Terry, Terry Cap is one of my favorite people ever. love terry kath guitar work and he uh Me? okay this is a different day because <laughs> we're gonna well uh, yeah so anyway to bring it back we go to this listening party at the garden and it's fucking surreal i didn't i like you know new york is full of metalheads. we have several metal clubs we have cbgb's so we also have that punk connection many, many well, when you punk have 30 metal million clubs. people in one city you're going to have 25,000 metal. 20,000 people go into Madison Square Garden and wearing all black and thrash and headbang and buy merch. And like, it's almost like a concert without the band. And it was nuts. And, and they didn't have these sophisticated video screens like we do now. And we didn't have social media to be distracted. You are listening, active listening with your friends, drinking, buying beers. They probably sold out of beers. This is the same venue that banned Judas Priest and Slayer, by the way, at one point because of the, uh, you know, property destruction. And, um, you know, a month later comes Nevermind by Nirvana. So anyway, um, you know, it's just, it's just an interesting time in the world. There is no other band that had the success Metallica had. Um, the next band to achieve a platinum record. So like I said, platinum record sales over a long period of time, easy, easier to do. Platinum out of the gate, either the day it sell, comes out or within the window, the first six or eight weeks is 
a rare thing. Even historically, it was like, that's impressive. Ozzy shipped gold on fucking Blizzard of Oz and it saved his career. It did? People, yeah. I didn't know it. That's in the Behind the Music, actually, where Sharon talks about how they couldn't even get a record deal and it shipped gold to the record stores. I, I, have, a, I have a Jet Records copy of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I got so, Jet on all three. The, the got three no movies. money for those. Absolutely no money for Ozzy. He made all his money from touring oh, yeah. and in other stuff. But um, so the album comes out, Enter Sandman. First time I ever heard Enter Sandman before that listening party, WPLJ, the pop rock station of New York City that played Huey Lewis in the news and Cindy Lauper and Prince and Michael Jackson and Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp. We got the new Metallica song. I was like, what? Why right. is the and new Metallica on this commercial rock station? It is not so, even pop rock. It is so important to, to explain what you're talking about. And this is, I yeah. think we're going to start winding it down from this. Yeah, for sure. You know, they bring in Bob Rock, who is, frankly, a commercial guru. Yeah. He, he does great work, and he sells you records. Veruca, after Metallica, he went to Veruca Salt to sell them records. Before Metallica, he did Motley Crue to sell them records, because Motley Crue had been, you know, in the shitter for the past two albums before that. Before Motley Crue, he had done... Um, the Cult. The Cult, and I don't care about them, so whatever. Uh, I'm sorry, I liked The Doors the first time when they were The Doors. Yikes. I know, I know. But they, the, the fact that he did that album made for some great funny moments in Year and a Half of Life Metallica. But what's so important to think about it and try to explain is in eighth grade, I'm in eighth grade, it's the 89-90 school year, right? The only people wearing Metallica out, Metallica t-shirts, are the bad kids. So I did not have one. Big metal guy. I didn't have one. I hadn't gotten hadn't gotten on the train yet. I didn't like the people that were wearing them because they were douche knockers that wanted to beat me up. But I was a weak, very young kid with a crew cut, and nobody liked that back then. So, in then within the span of two years, three years, I go from eighth grade to eleventh grade. The popular girls in my high school, Middle America. This is back. I didn't even live in St. Louis at the time. I was in rural Illinois, middle of fucking nowhere. I had to pass by the, when the wind blew east, I smelled the pig shit. That's how rural it was, which as I'm sure you can guess, there was no Chinese food and it about killed me, but I made it by listening to the wall. So from that three year period, it goes from, you know, everybody who's into metal has heard the name. We've seen, we've heard one to my stepsister who loved MC Hammer the week before bought Metallica on cassette. And it's the meteoric rise at that moment. It was beyond palpable. It was what the fuck. And MTV was also on board. Oh, MTV was completely on board. Not just headbangers ball, regular rotation MTV. This is before Nirvana hit. Before Nevermind, before Grunge, before Hunger Strike, before Pearl Jam, but really before Alice in Chains took off after the Clash of the Titans tour later on. Facelift was a slow, slow burn. few years, slow burn for that thing to take off. Dirt was another story. So even regular MTV was playing Metallica all the time. It went from Metallica being not even mentioned as, you know, because Casey would sponsor them. Their, their shows, not even mentioning the shows, mm-hmm. to 
playing for whom the bell tolls at 3 p.m. on a Sunday. That's it. And Iron Maiden, I mean, no metal band ever achieved this. Yeah. This was a moment in time, and I understand why they pushed the crap out of it as a band. Because at that moment, they go from being, and, and it shouldn't, we shouldn't neglect they were on a major label. They were on one of the big three. They were shepherded by one of the geniuses of the music industry and a friend to Ghost Cult, Michael Alago. Go see Who the Fuck is That Guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Alago, if you can get it on Netflix or Amazon or wherever you watch things. Um, the company but not even fully a subsidiary of Electra. No, Electra, which was by at that time independent, not a part of a huge conglomerate like now. They were one of the major players in all of music. They had major bands, not just metal and rock. And they... They had the Eagles. They had the Eagles, which had, the at doors. the time, the Eagles' uh, Greatest Hits won. Asylum. It was on right. Asylum Records, which was a right. The Eagles' Greatest Hits won is like all, still one of the best-selling records in the top five ever. You know why? Um, Hotel I'll tell you why. How many times have you bought it? A bunch. <laughs> I bought it like times. six times. Yeah. Because I buy it and go, then I get broke and I go, I don't need this. Seven Bridges Road is on there. I like to sing the harmony sometimes. Yeah, it's I, it's awesome. I mean, I, I've bought it. I've bought it on three different formats, multiple times on most formats. I bought it at least four times on CD, at least twice on cassette, and once on vinyl. So that, yeah, that. Anyway, moving on. So all of a sudden, this band that you know you are proud to know. This, this underground band all of a sudden explodes. And this is going to be the last thought I say, because we're going, we've gone a little bit. And this will lead into the next installment of this series, which we haven't decided when that's going to be. But then what does Metallica do? They book a tour like they're Metallica, like they have to, like they have to play shows to sell records. So they've already, before they go on tour, they've already sold more records than they've ever sold in their career. And then what do they do? And then they tour for three years to sell records. Madness. And they they killed it every night. I'll stop there because, you know, we can go on about that next time. But like, they, that's when they became who they were. Probably I would say like the record comes out, the hype, hype, hype is hype. And then the touring begins. And so you're getting into 1992 and they are just enormous. They're just becoming enormous more than any rock band ever, including Led Zeppelin, who I love to pieces and will always love. And they, I hate to say it because it seems impossible. If you love, if you grew up at the same time loving Led Zeppelin and saw Metallica happen, they weren't even comparable. And it seemed like whatever Zeppelin did, Metallica did double on purpose. At minimum. And I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest fan of Lon Friend in the world. I love Lon Friend. We can disagree. That's fine. You probably know him. I don't. We've messaged each other. And I, Life on Planet Rock is one of my favorite books. And I used to read Rip Magazine religiously. He said the smartest thing in the world in Metallica is behind the music. They are this generation's Led Zeppelin. They are. At the time, he was right. Now he's wrong. Because this bigger? is... Metallica is this generation's Michael Jackson. Yeah, they are. And I mean, and that's the thing. And it's, 
it's so hard. I, I mean, and this will literally be the last thing I say when after Kiwi talks again, I'm going to throw out the tagline because I will go on. You can throw it out. I'm done for the week. No, I, I have to say this. Uh, I actually grew tired and sick of hearing Metallica and watching Metallica on MTV. I mean, imagine that, that you grow, you, that you've heard so much metal, you get sick of it. Hard to believe. Impossible. Final thought, Keefe, before we get on to the next bit about this phenomenon. I'm going to go listen to the Black Album and go record my show, my video show. So thank okay. you for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to spend this time nerding out with you. I hope it wasn't too much blathering and sidebarring for the listeners. We'll try no, to rein it in next time, but we'll probably suck at doing it. No, we're not going to rein it in because you and I are going to always try to one-up each other. That's what we do. I try That's not to. I, tr- I try to. Okay. You can- Fair enough. <laughs> well, I probably deserve it. You're at this level. I'm at this level, and you're at this level. So I got to get up. I don't think. Hey, 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 you're you're my hero. Anyway, Uh, the last thing I forgot what it was. Anyway, thank. We will be back at some point to begin discussing the next phase of the Black Album, which was the what was it? Nowhere else to roam tour. I believe that's what it was called. Nowhere else to roam, and a bunch of other. Early Ooh, shit, ain't got no album, 94? 93, 94. 92, 93, 94, which uh, unbelievable. No, it was 91 like, to 93. Yeah. And then after Binge and Purge, they went out on tour again called the Board of Shit Ain't Got No Album Tour. Because apparently they weren't ready to see Bob Rock again. But with that, uh, let me thank once again. I always appreciate Keefe spending some time with me giving me the time of day. I know we're friends, but I still greatly appreciate him lending his considerable credibility, his amazing knowledge, and it's always wonderful. And with that, this is the Glacially Musical Podcast. It doesn't play in Peoria. <laughs> it's still funny. I don't know why. I'm also it's fu- blushing. I'm blushing. It's funny because it's funny. I'm glad people can't see me blush. <laughs> Say goodnight, Gracie. That, exactly. And, you know, I, I still am trying to find a, a, a tagline for the DMA, but I can't find one. I can't. I, I have 